0: Jenna, how are you today?
1: I'm good, Eric. How are you?
0: I'm pretty good. Thank you for asking. Jenna, before we get started, I've got a question for you. Okay. Let's say that you wanted to get rich. Okay. <laughs> Would you try to get rich by entering into prize fights?
1: Um, no? Maybe?
0: And if, say you were, if you were going get, to get into the prize fighting game, would you consistently go up against opponents that were bigger and stronger and heavier than you?
1: Oh my goodness, no, no way.
0: No. Interesting choice. <laughs> you know who didn't make that choice? Who? Japan. <laughs> big time whoopsies my name is Eric McAdams and this is a podcast about incompetence on a grand scale every week I tell you the listener and a friend of mine a story from history involving massive incompetence with me today is my friend Jenna say hi Jenna
1: hi
0: thank you Jenna (laughs) Jenna how are we feeling today I know I already asked you that but like how are we feeling in relation to the podcast
1: in relation to the podcast. Yeah? Um, you
0: nervous? You, you excited?
1: I'm fine. You enthusiastic? I'm excited. I'm excited to be on a podcast. I've never done this before.
0: This is your first podcast. Yes. Interesting. That's fun. I think I think a lot of my guests, is, this has been their first podcast.
1: Yeah, but, it's exciting.
0: Yeah, it's nice. It's a nice set of training wheels for your eventual award-winning NPR radio show that I'm sure you'll make.
1: Oh, I would love to be on NPR. That'd be so fun. I would actually... When I was younger I used to want to like host a radio show. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what I would talk about because I don't think I have a very good like talking voice or like telling stories, but you have yeah.
0: a fine talking voice and like you don't have to tell stories to get on the radio. That's true. And I like you what you should do is you should get some internship at some radio station. Oh
1: god, don't talk to me about real life. <laughs> Sorry, about Japan, I, won't, Eric. I
0: won't talk to you about real life. I'll just talk to you about Japan during World War Two. Yeah, that's that's not real.
1: No, of course not.
0: As everyone knows, any hoax. war crimes are imaginary. It's a hoax. Yeah, it's all a hoax. World War II did didn't happen. Exactly. And anyone who tells you different is probably a historian. <laughs> all right. You want to get into it? That wasn't a lot of banter, yes. but I feel like we got some some of your crucial personality points across, so <sighs> so that people can identify with you as you listen to this as you go on this journey.
1: That's wonderful. I want to be identifiable with.
0: Well, it's important. I gotta I gotta set you up as a character so that people can align with you.
1: Oh okay okay.
0: Yeah, structure.
1: I'm hot, I'm hot man. <laughs> <laughs> For sure
0: yeah, and listeners, you should be aware we are recording this in a very muggy dc evening or i guess maryland for you yeah dc for me it is sweaty damp and it is hot so if you if if you're listening to this and you go like you know what he sounds sweaty you're probably right ew i don't know how he's conveying this to me purely through the medium of sound but he is definitely a sweaty man and you would be right all right Matthew Perry! Alright. The actor. Okay. Is not who this story is about. Oh, darn it. It is about. The very beginning of this starts with a different man named Matthew Perry. Okay. Commodore Matthew Perry arrives in Japan in 1852. Commodore Matthew Perry is from the United States Navy. He has come here with the express mission of opening up Japan for trade. Because Japan, up until this point, for the last 200 years, has been an isolationist country and not open to any kind of Western trade. That's fun. Yeah. Guess how he does it. Guess how he opens Japan up to trade.
1: Um, he arrives in Japan and he asks them to open up for trade. And he... This is pretty... <laughs> that's actually people, pretty much what happens. Just like many Amer- historical American figures. <laughs>
0: I do not believe he kills a lot of people. He just threatens to because he shows up in Japan with more than one gunboat equipped with, with cutting-edge technology in how to destroy a city. Oh,
1: that's
0: fun. They have, these gunboats have the biggest, baddest guns that the United States could put on a boat, and he sits outside the city of Edo and pretty much goes, If I wanted to... I could destroy your entire city with just these few boats. That's not nice. Up until this point, Japan, like, has had occasional dealings with specifically the Dutch. Okay. Don't ask me why it happens, but the Dutch are allowed to use, like, two Japanese ports. And that's their only window to the outside world, essentially. And Japan goes like, could you at least go to one of those two ports to do this? And Matthew Perry goes like, no, that's not how this works anymore. (laughs) You do what I say, and I have a letter that needs to go to this specific guy, and he's in this city.
1: He's an impatient man.
0: Yeah, they do that, and then he leaves. This is a terrifying experience for Japan, because up until now, they have not encountered what they call black ships which are ships that spew smoke into the air as they move because they can move under their own power they are not oh. beholden to tide or wind interesting they're also not ready for the kind of destructive power that they have on them matthew perry comes back to japan the next year and essentially makes sure that they're still ready to go through with this deal to open up to to open up to trade and japan accepts because they've just heard about how china was given a similar offer from the british didn't take it and then the british proceeded to destroy a lot of china oh
1: my goodness okay with
0: very similar technology Hmm. that's where this story begins
1: all right all right
0: but this is a story about world war ii so we're gonna have to move through the next 70 years (laughs) pretty quick next sorry next 90 years pretty quickly okay So, flash forward to about 1868. Japan is terrified of the rest of the world because they have realized that they are completely outstripped when it comes to military technology. Okay. This 1868 is an important year for Japan because that's when the Meiji Restoration happens. The Meiji Restoration takes power away from the shogun, gives it to the emperor, but more importantly, it empowers the military, and it makes the government more western. Okay.
1: Wait, Fun tidbit. Um... That's, like, exactly what I was learning about when we were reading that which story I sent you.
0: Oh, that's fun. Yeah, I, like, learned about that at school. Tie like. into your class, yeah. then. <laughs> making yeah, making Actually, this whole podcast is just a ploy from your teacher to get you to learn the subject a little better.
1: <sighs> that was a co-taught class. It was two people that...
0: So what that. class?
1: It was, a, it was, like, co-taught by two professors, that class.
0: Co-taught. Okay. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah interesting by a very gay german professor professor and then this Mm. little white lady who like knew a lot about japan
0: you never know who's gonna know a lot about japan (laughs) you can never tell maybe you do i know a little bit okay i also host an anime podcast oh yeah you do yeah which i don't recommend to my family or friends to listen to but you know hey (laughs) For those who want to know, that's the Shamaname podcast on the MajorCast Network, the MajorCast Network goofiest show.
1: Look at that plug.
0: Yeah. I've gotten better at doing plugs over the course of the last few episodes. Yeah, you
1: just like integrate them. They're really smooth. They're nice.
0: I try to be. So, 1868, the Meiji Restoration happens. And after this point, westernization is favored and encouraged by the government and by the elite of Japan. Western dress is is uh, adopted uh, in some circles and more specifically a western military is adopted oh. by the country and Japan's military starts to grow and as their pl- as they are growing their power essentially around the 1890s they essentially realize that the only way to be recognized as a world power right now is to be a an imperialist colonialist world power because that's the only kind that exists oh
1: my goodness
0: in the world at the time so it starts in the 1890s continues in the 1900s as japan uh first bullies korea into becoming a tributary state and then annexes korea
1: Jeez. it
0: invades <laughs> part of manchuria and creates another japanese state in manchuria it invades several pacific islands And then, uh, in 1904 and 1905, it gets into a short war with uh, the Soviet Union over territory uh, in Manchuria, which Japan actually wins. Okay, Japan is going hard here. Japan ramps up its military activity very quickly. (laughs) Zero
1: to 100.
0: Uh, Japan actually wins through a series of pretty marvelous uh, victories uh, in this war against Russia, but... Russia realizes that Japan's kind of overextending itself. It's only winning by overextending itself. Okay. So it ends in a peace treaty where Russia kind of goes like, you know, if we brought all our forces to bear, we could win this war. And Japan goes like, well, all right, we'll just take some of this territory. You don't have to pay us anything. Okay. And that's what happens. Then World War I comes around, and Japan is actually part of the Allies in World War I. Oh,
1: all right. Interesting.
0: Sort of. Japan only really joins World War One, so it can still be a colonialist superpower, and what it uses World War One to do is steal islands that Germany owns. Oh. So it it attacks a few Pacific islands that Germany owns, and because that then that technically means that they participated in the war. Okay. okay. That's World War One for Japan, essentially. Flash forward to ni- to the nineteen thirties. And the leaders are starting, to, are starting to slow down a bit around 1932. They're starting to pull back and not push as hard. They're trying to be more, go for peace and business with the Western powers because they feel like they've established themselves as the preeminent power in Asia.
1: Okay.
0: The people of Japan are not happy about this. Because after, like, 30, 40 years of aggressive military expansion... They think that they should just kind of keep doing that. Oh, okay. Be- and, you know, nothing bad has ever come out of that.
1: Don't know how I feel about this at this moment, but...
0: What do you mean you don't know how do you see. feel about this?
1: Aggressive... More aggressive military expansion?
0: Mm-hmm. Where, didn't
1: you just say they were doing it for the past... How many years? 30, 40 oh, years? Yeah. hmm time for a break. In
0: 1932, so emboldened by their success the, and with the rise of ultra-nationalism...
1: Mm-hmm
0: the japanese people start to express their uh discontent with uh what they perceive as cowardly leaders who are trying to reconcile with western powers and in 1932 after a series of assassination attempts on these politicians it is very clear that the japanese people would more prefer that the military just kind of be in charge of everything okay and that's sort of what happens sort of yeah the military attempts a coup in 1936 but they don't really take over but then they afterwards they sort of take over okay in that a, gen, a military general is made the prime minister and the emperor kind of stops telling them what to do
1: okay okay
0: uh it is around and pretty much immediately after that japanese military activity ramps back up okay uh, they uh, invade China. Soon after that, they'd been in China already, but now they perform what has what is uh, colloquially 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 known <laughs> as the rape of Nanking
1: Oh, that's a nice name.
0: That's what happens in 1937, okay. and I'm not gonna get into that too much. But it is a bad time. Yeah. Japanese soldiers kill thousands and thousands of people. And rape an estimated twenty thousand women in Nanking Been, oh over the goodness. course of that time. Rape is is a literal use there. Okay. <laughs> it is. It is. It's
1: kind of heavy. It's a bad
0: time. <laughs> yeah. No. no. This is. Hmm. They get some international sanctions, but they mostly keep what they take in China, and they also uh, border skirmishes start ramping up with the soviet union again i told you that there was a brief war in manchuria with the soviet union yeah the border skirmishes there start ramping up in part because of a man named masanobu tsuji okay masanobu tsuji was a proponent of what was called gekukujo gekukujo was a it's translated a couple different ways but essentially, it was called loyal insubordination. Loyal insubordination. Yeah, it, it's, it's, a, it's an oxymoron. Is says an oxymoron? <laughs> yes, it is. What it essentially means is he and other members... This is almost entirely a military concept. He and other members of the military would ignore politicians, emperors, whatever, even higher-ups in the military, if they believed that... What they were doing was good for the nation
1: oh okay hmm.
0: which you know I'm sure only good things will come from so
1: basically this. they can do whatever they want is that that's kind of what that's saying
0: essentially, but like if it's about him being a patriot really is what he would say
1: mm-hmm.
0: during this I like I said the the border skirmishes are ramping up and it's partially because of him because Masanobutsuji I think is probably the best example of the Japanese military during this time okay. Because all he ever did was attack.
1: <laughs> all he ever did was attack. That's it.
0: That's all. He was, he was aggressive uh, in person and on the battlefield. He was not the kind of leader to, like, you know, make his decision in the office and then send his men to die. He would go down to the front lines with them.
1: Hmm.
0: On top of this, his Wikipedia page is like a greatest hits of Japanese war crimes. Uh-huh. Um, he took part in a lot of them. More on those later.
1: I feel like when you're on something that's greatest hits, you don't want it to be war crimes. <laughs> Maybe like greatest hits of the early 2000s or greatest hits of like Fleetwood Mac. <laughs> greatest hits of Japanese war crimes. Coming in at spot number one, we have.
0: Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. Well, one, number one would be The Rape of Nanking, and I don't think he was actually involved in that.
1: Is your podcast actually called "Greatest Hits of Japanese War Crimes"? Is that what the title of this is?
0: The episode title for today's story is named after Masanobu Thank you for that excellent segue. Yeah, good, good. The episode title today is Masanobu Tsuji's nickname, which was the God of Operations.
1: Ah, all right, all right.
0: He got this name because he worked in the operations department of the Japanese military, and he planned. The logistics and and he planned and managed the logistics of many japanese operations during this time of about from the uh mid-30s to uh the mid-40s is when he was at the peak of his career and while these border skirmishes are ramping up with the soviet union that's where he is funnily enough it's almost like he's one of the ones exacerbating the situation.
1: Hmm. Interesting.
0: Matter of fact, it's exactly like that. That's what he's doing.
1: <laughs> Let me just call him out right now.
0: <laughs> this is... It's what he's doing.
1: That man. That man over there. Mm-hmm. He's exacerbating the situation.
0: These, these border skir- skirmishes came from essentially, you know, how a lot of border <laughs> skirmishes happen, which is one side thought the border was here, and the other side thought the border was in a different place. All right and they decided to fight over that because each side wanted more land the soviet union side thought that uh the kalkin Gol would be the border which was a river and the japanese side thought that the border would be at uh nomonhan actually wait i think i've got that mixed up the kalkin Gol was closer to the soviet union so japan japan thought that it would that would be the border and nomonhan was closer to japan so Russia thought so the Soviet Union thought that would be the border.
1: Okay,
0: okay. The tensions are escalating there, and Masanobutsuji and uh, and men like him. What's interesting about Masanobu Tsuji is that he never appears as like one of the leaders in whatever battle he was a part of.
1: Alright.
0: He's just always but he is usually credit as credited as like the guy who actually planned the thing.
1: Interesting.
0: So Masa and men like him decided they got a pretty good shot at beating the Soviet Union.
1: Okay. Why is that? They're wrong. Oh. Why are they wrong?
0: They woefully overestimate their chances. The Japanese, I guess, because they need to expand. Because a funny thing about being a colonialist superpower is that you need more and more resources to fund your ever-growing military. And to get more resources, you have to conquer more places, and to conquer more places, you need to get more resources.
1: Vicious cycle.
0: So Japan is constantly looking for new places to get resources from, and they think that doing an incursion into the Soviet Union and staking out some of their territory might solve their problems. Mm -hmm. So Masanobutsuji and other men like him decide to attack the Soviet position at Kalkin Gol. Okay. They woefully overestimate their chances, just like I said. The Russians outnumber them by a bunch, not just in terms of manpower, but also in terms of materials. They have way more tanks, way more guns, way more aircraft.
1: This is just sad.
0: On a numbers scale, this is a pretty bad idea. (laughs) Just... (laughs) And, like, after a couple months of fighting and several thousand people dying, Japan loses. Oh,
1: surprise
0: yeah superior firepower just blows them up oh no they reach a stalemate masano butsuji continues to try to push farther as do other leaders mm-hmm. and then the russians just start blowing them up
1: <sighs> wonderful
0: the russians aren't particularly like they don't do a bad job but they don't do a it's not like they did any like anything like strategically brilliant it's just that the Japanese here were counting on another string of miraculous victories yeah. like what happened 30 years ago against the Russians. Mm,
1: exactly. Okay.
0: And the thing is, the stuff that happened 30 years ago convinced the Russians that it would be a worthwhile endeavor to put a bunch of reinforcements and troops in this area, which mean they had a numerical advantage.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. So, <laughs> there we have it.
0: We had a numerical advantage. Matsunobitsuji knew this, attacked, and lost japan's Japan lost a lot of guys fighting here, so did the so did the Soviet Union. They' lost a lot of guys too because the japan because Japan did fight pretty well in the battles they were in. they just couldn't beat the numbers mm-hmm. during this fight they get almost obliterated and they still want to keep fighting and finally like a an order from military high command comes down and goes like, "No, we told you to stop earlier." Like, this was was part of loyal insubordination, this whole escalation thing. But military command comes down and goes like, we told you to stop earlier. Now you had better fucking stop. (laughs) Yeah. So they do this time. Okay. So they stop. So, Jenna, let's say you're a colonialist superpower, which is really how I've always thought of you.
1: (laughs) My dream. Finally, someone sees the real me.
0: (laughs) Finally, we've found your identity. My true form revealed. Yeah so let's say you're a colonialist superpower okay one of the and let's say you're specifically Japan trying to be a colonialist superpower you've just tried to get resources from the Soviet Union that didn't go so hot
1: okay
0: where else are you gonna get your resources
1: Um, other countries you're already in China
0: you're already in Korea you need more than that they think
1: more than that
0: yeah I mean if you're gonna expand and be the uh, terrifying colonial superpower you wanna you want to be so badly
1: do I, do I expand into other Southeast Asian countries?
0: Masu Nobutsuji and others like him are part of a contingent that believes that the only way to expand their territory and get more resources is to attack the Pacific Islands. Ah, and to do that... Aye. To do that, they would either need to bypass or get the permission of the United States of America.
1: Oh, total U.S. wonder when they were coming in.
0: Yeah, see, the United States of America had an interest in the Pacific Islands, and generally we're considered to not be too likely to want Japan to just start attacking shit.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, that seems logical.
0: And at this cliffhanger, I wonder what they're going to do. We're going to take a break for an ad.
1: You know in BoJack when they're like, that show where they're like, celebrities, what do they know? Do they know things? <laughs> Let's find out. I feel like you're just going to do one of those. <laughs> the USA, Japan. That's a prime BoJack Horseman
0: reference.
1: (laughs) I am a prime BoJack Horseman
0: reference. Do you find yourself unable to watch television?
1: Who has the time? Well, luckily, we do. I'm Liam Senior. I'm Josh Phillips. We host a podcast where we watch old cancel TV for for you. you. Musty TV
0: every Thursday on the Major Cast Network. My father says we're crazy. My mother won't talk to me anymore. Why did you put on sweatpants?
1: I don't know. They're comfy. Don't you ever just do things for the comfort of it, Eric? Like eat mac and cheese. I
0: feel like temperature is part of my comfort, so I wouldn't do something that makes me hotter.
1: I don't know. They're comfy, and I like them.
0: I mean, okay, but like, <sighs> sorry, I'm it makes so you tired. hot. It's not comfort. All right. Ready to go?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Masanobu Butsuji after attacking Russia, has decided that attacking Russia again is not an option.
1: Not an option. Off the
0: table. He thinks they have superior firepower. This is like the one, because after he attacked them for like a year, he decided like, huh, maybe this wasn't the right idea.
1: It took him a year to figure that out.
0: Kinda. He would have kept attacking if if the higher-ups hadn't stopped him.
1: Maybe he's a slow learner
0: he always thinks that the right option in war is to attack and more aggressively (laughs) he always thinks that it's to be like there's some clever way to attack and destroy the enemy the
1: only way is forward
0: yep basically yeah and what's interesting about the attack on the soviet union is that part of why they lose is because their logistics aren't good like Masanobu is literally part of the, the operations section. He's he's the god of operations, and mm-hmm. literally like the logistical stuff, the organization stuff, wasn't even good at the battles of Kalakandol. So it's like,
1: so basically, he's a lot of a lot of talk, but not kind of. Not of he's
0: stuff. not all talk because he would go on the front lines and like get shot with his men. Oh, but he wasn't that good at planning the operations that he was supposedly a deity of okay and here's the here's the part where uh that becomes very clear because if they're not going to attack russia they need to attack the pacific islands they think the only way is to expand their territory and they're worried that if they try to expand their territory in the pacific islands the united states will start attacking them back okay because they also have interests there
1: yeah, I thought the U.S. was going to come in after the break.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, on December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy, <laughs> Japan attacks Pearl Harbor.
1: Okay, yeah. yeah that, that happened.
0: <laughs> because of men like Masanobu Tsuji, who urged that the only way forward was war with the United States and Britain. Mm-hmm.
1: But wasn't this the guy who had just like lost after a year of war and like Uh used up all his resources and
0: I don't know. Here's here's the best part of this. Wikipedia mentions that this guy's nickname was the God of Operations.
1: What operations? Where are the receipts?
0: He's he rises. He's like a military prodigy or he seems to be considered to be as such because he's like a high ranking officer in his like 20s. In the thirties. Oh, obviously yeah. later on he's older. But Did like you
1: say obviously later on he's older. Yeah, obviously he's not he
0: wasn't in his twenties what I was trying to say, he wasn't in his twenties at the battles of Kalkan Gol. Okay, okay.
1: I was about to say, obviously he aged as he got yeah. older. And he Time
0: obviously... does in fact work in one direction. <laughs> I love
1: one direction.
0: Tell us about it. Character
1: Jenna. um giving me character to the podcast. <laughs>
0: I forgot that you liked One Direction and then I said One Direction and I saw a light bulb go on above your head. One
1: Direction. Yeah, for those of you (laughs) listening at home, there's a light bulb above my head right now.
0: Yeah, tell us about One Direction, Jenna. Um, Give us some some comic relief before I tell you about Pearl Harbor. One
1: Direction. Well, they're not really a thing anymore. (laughs) They kind of broke up.
0: I actually knew that.
1: Harry's having a pretty successful career right now. I'd say he was just. Oh my playing... god!
0: Oh my god! Harry Styles is in Dunkirk.
1: Dunkirk! Yes, I know. Wait. Check out
0: the last episode of Big Time Whoopsies, guys. <laughs> the one that started my series on World War II. So, having gotten Dunkirk? that, having gotten that incredible connection out of the way, Pearl Harbor. Pearl Harbor is one of the dumbest ideas I've ever heard of in war. Oh (laughs) my goodness. Pearl Harbor is so incredibly stupid, but it's also very clever. Okay. The clever part is that it's really well organized. Japan, for those who don't know, Japan organizes a very quick devastating attack on the naval base at Pearl Harbor, which is a U.S. naval base.
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Japan wanted to buy its operations in the Pacific some time so that the U.S. wouldn't be able to stage any attacks on them. And they figured that if they took out all the battleships at Pearl Harbor, they'd, ha- they'd buy themselves about six months. And they're mostly right. Mostly. And, mm-hmm. like, they the, the attack on Pearl Harbor is very cleverly done. The Japanese warplanes destroy and sink at least four battleships and other ships and and damage more battleships aside from that
1: wow
0: okay yeah that's a lot that's a lot yeah it's and i believe two thousand americans die in that attack yeah so on one level it's a very clever thing on another level it's the dumbest decision that japan has ever made
1: <laughs> in their history of term. Back
0: Here's why. Really I don't know if out. you know this, Jenna, but World War Two doesn't go great for the Japanese after this. Yeah, I might have might have read that in my history textbook. You might have gotten that at some point. <laughs> and you know who they fought and lost to in World War Two?
1: No, tell me, pray tell.
0: It was the United States, actually. <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> yeah. I know. Came out of nowhere. Um. And because... But Japan was so confident that they'd be able to win in a fight against the United States of fucking America. They
1: were confident in that they would win? They thought that they
0: could have a short, victorious war. That's how they Mm. described it. Hmm. They were so confident that there were targets at Pearl Harbor that they didn't hit. Like oil tanks, the Navy Yard, and the submarine base. They all ignored them. So they don't really destroy Pearl Harbor... They weren't interested in hitting targets other than battleships, so while, yeah, Pearl Harbor couldn't exactly launch battleships because they had all theirs destroyed, Mm -hmm. and that did hinder their effectiveness for about six months, Pearl Harbor was still, like, an effective naval base after that because their, like, long-term resources weren't affected.
1: Oh. That was silly of the Japanese, then, to...
0: It was awfully (laughs) silly. They also didn't destroy any aircraft carriers. None, really none wow. of them
1: wow
0: no aircraft carriers were destroyed in pearl harbor and fun fact aircraft carriers were a big deal in world war Two.
1: <laughs> fun fact
0: yeah so one their attack did sort of do what it was supposed to do that's why it's sort of clever but it didn't stop the united states from getting involved in the war and it also the United States probably would have given that six months to the Japanese anyway. They weren't about to attack the Japanese before yeah. this sneak attack on one of their bases. Yeah. Like, the United States was not... There were even parts of the United States that didn't want to go to war at all. There were non-interventionists non-interventionist politicians that didn't want to go to war with Germany or Japan or anybody.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: Okay. But when you kill 2,000 Americas Americas... <laughs> if when you kill 2000 americans in a coordinated airstrike that oh, yeah. tends to get people thinking like huh maybe we should airstrike them back and so after after a lot of these invasions these uh these attacks a lot of these japanese generals tend to react with kind of like i'm not sure this was a good idea
1: hindsight is 2020 20, isn't it
0: the guy who was in charge of uh the air force his name was yamamoto for japan uh there's this quote that's been kind of misattributed to him Mm -hmm. they say he says we want a victory but i i fear that we have woken a sleeping giant and filled him with a terrible resolve okay uh, this is this quote doesn't appear in any kind of print but it's commonly attributed to him and i don't think he actually said it but he is said to have been pretty remorseful after this attack because he knew that for the next six months he would be able to pretty much run shit in the pacific because no one would be able to stop him. But he said, there are, quotes, there are actual quotes of him going like, after that first six months, I don't know what we're going to do. <laughs> oh,
1: boy. People in positions of power not knowing mm-hmm. what they're
0: doing. Other Japanese generals, uh, when after attacking Kalkan Gol, were pretty remorseful. They kind of realized, like, this was pretty dumb. This was not a good idea. We're not invincible. We can't just win because oh. we think we're going to win. Okay other, like, people at the Rape of Nanking were very remorseful because, like, Jesus Christ.
1: Yeah. Because so, that yeah. was one of
0: the most horrible war crimes of all time. Masa Nobutsuji did not react with remorse.
1: <laughs> Why am I not surprised?
0: He went on to commit more war crimes. Oh, gosh, did he? Undeterred by losing at the hands of both the Soviet Union and how he was about to lose to the United States of America because, you know, Pearl Harbor was just such a success, right? Mm-hmm. Masa uh helped plan the Suk-ching, which is where Japanese military uh, had a genocidal purge oh, of people yeah. living in Singapore. Oh, yeah. Thousands of people died from that, and he helped plan it. And he also helped plan the Bataan Death March, which is where Filipino soldiers and some American POWs were marched several uh, for, for a long way from one base to another, and pretty, and kind of just indiscriminately killed along the way.
1: This guy's terrible.
0: <laughs> yeah! <laughs> and not only that, Masanobutsuji is commonly thought that Masanobutsuji held the first mass execution during the Bataan Death March.
1: Mm-hmm. Killed
0: about 300 soldiers. Wow, okay. And in one go, thousands more died after that. All right. <laughs> That's Masanobutsuji. He goes on to keep working for Japan and eventually, and he doesn't. Uh, ever answer for his crimes
1: he doesn't ever answer really
0: because he traveled to la because uh after after world war Two, he went into hiding in china uh-huh. and he i think he became to be like a politician What that's, for a while after this as well that's
1: Crazy. because
0: he he avoided any like war crimes tribunals that kind of thing Gosh. and then he went on to be a politician then he traveled to La on his wikipedia page it says in April 1961 he traveled to Laos and was never heard from again.
1: Oh gosh. Celebrities, where are they now? Do they know things? Let's find out.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Does Masano Tsuji know things? Turns out he just wants to kill American prisoners of war.
1: Wow. So he he just went to China and then he went to Laos and then MIA.
0: Yep. But for and all that- on wikipedia it mentions that there were like rumors that he went on to help the north vietnamese government which seems kind of far-fetched to me
1: yeah but still for like people knowing that he did all that stuff and then like nothing happening oh yeah afterwards dude Mm -hmm. that's wild
0: yeah he was known as the god of operations because i guess for his like logistical prowess but like his main answer for most things seems to be just, like, press forward even if everyone dies.
1: Maybe the biggest operation is that he didn't answer for, for any of his war crimes. I'm still <laughs> stuck on that point. Yeah. Ah.
0: Yes, sir. Ah. There were a lot of Japanese officials that uh, did not answer for crimes, such as Prince Asaka, who was the commanding officer during the, the rape of Nanking mm-hmm. and was granted immunity because he was part of the imperial family. Oh, gosh. Yeah. That's sucks. He's going he's to be part of a, uh, I'm doing like an anthology episode sometime in the future of serial killers who got off easy because they were nobility.
1: That sounds fun.
0: Yeah. Anyway, that's the end of The God of Operations.
1: God's Not Dead.
0: <laughs> Maybe I'll do a sequel and it'll be called God's Not Dead 2.
1: Can you credit me for the title?
0: stop laughing it's not that funny <laughs> so at the end of every episode of big time whoopsies after giving you a long story of incompetence on a grand scale i like to give you a short story about inco- about competence in an absurd way this is the pickle i call these stories pickles for the <laughs> knowing ones you should google that if you don't know what it is it'll be entertaining i promise pickles for who pickles for the knowing ones oh the knowing ones yeah so, Jenna, here's a pickle for the knowing ones. <laughs> pickle for the knowing ones? <laughs> this is a weird phrase. Pickle for the knowing ones. Okay, what is it? Jenna, here's a pickle for the knowing ones. There are a lot of Japanese martial arts.
1: Okay, yes. And some of
0: them <laughs> are silly. Okay. There's one... So, I could talk to you about iaido, which is a form of sword fighting developed by the well no it's not really a form of sword fighting it's a martial art developed by the japanese that is specifically about the drawing of a samurai sword not fencing or fighting with the samurai sword just the draw
1: so like taking it out
0: just pulling it out of the sheath and being like aware of your surroundings when you do so but i'm not going to talk about that because there's an even better one (laughs) there's an even better one jenna
1: why would you lead up to that one and then not talk about it? Cuz
0: that's pretty much the end of it. Oh, okay. Like it's that's all I it's about. I guess there's
1: there's only so much you can draw.
0: <laughs> Jen, have you ever heard of judo? Yeah. We're going to talk about jodo. <laughs>
1: <Okay>. <laughs> Judo's um, weird twin that we don't talk about. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Judo's weird twin that's interested in like things that probably shouldn't be involved in martial arts because Jodo is very specific. Just like Iaido, Jodo is very specific in what it's about as a martial art.
1: Okay.
0: <laughs> it is specifically a response to fighting against somebody who has a samurai sword.
1: Okay.
0: When you do not.
1: When you do. Oh, okay.
0: Jodo uses <laughs> a 128 centimeter long stick.
1: Why is it so specific? And what if you don't, what What if, do you like, is it a certain stick you need to have at the, when you're, what?
0: Johto involves exclusively a 128 centimeter long stick and it focuses almost exclusively on fighting katanas, samurai swords.
1: But what if you're in the situation when you're, you come across a samurai sword and you don't have your 120 whatever centimeter stick.
0: Well, then you can't use Johto. Rats. <laughs> and if you go up against someone who doesn't have a samurai sword, you also can't really use Johto.
1: So even if I have the 120 centimeter 120 It'll tell you how stick. to hit
0: people. That's that's about it. It doesn't know how to react Rats. to, like, unarmed combatants. <laughs>
1: Wait, no, so no, now I have a question, Eric. If, yeah. So are there places that make these 120 whatever centimeter Oh yeah, it's still a thing, sticks.
0: even to this day. People that's still what, practice jodo.
1: Specific.
0: Yeah, it's incredibly specific.
1: That's very niche.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. So if you go up against someone and you don't have this stick, you can't use jodo. Ah! And if say they're just using like a knife, you can't use jodo. Yeah, Oh, okay. It was developed specifically to fight samurai swords because there's some like mythical figure who tried to fight a samurai swordsman with a bow staff, which is a longer, more normal staff. Mm -hmm. And he had trouble, but he said that he could fight the samurai sword if he just had a 124... 128... Fuck. This very specific length of wood. (laughs) Because it was shorter than a bow staff, it would be able to penetrate the defense somehow. I don't know how. Square up. (laughs) But for whatever reason... It was considered that this shorter staff would be better than the longer staff when fighting against samurai swords. And that's how an entire martial art was created. <sighs> that's
1: fun. I just gotta, you know, pick up my kid from Judo class.
0: Yeah. Oh, do you mean Judo? Jodo, no.
1: Jo- <laughs> Jodo <laughs> He has lessons uh, lesson three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. What kind of
0: equipment does he have? I don't know the stick. <laughs> I study Taekwondo. We do a lot of kicks. I study fencing. We have this sword. I study Johto. I got a stick. <laughs> Good grief. Whoo! That's the end of this episode Yay. of Big Time Whoopsies. Jenna, thank you for being on my podcast.
1: Thanks for having me, Eric.
0: I know That's it was kind of a struggle. Of it's too hot and we're tired. That's okay. Any comments on these stories that you got the privilege to hear firsthand?
1: Um, I'm gonna be honest, I really like the little pickle at the end. I found that um kind of the most intriguing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Alright. Okay. <laughs> That's fine. I'm but not also, hurt.
1: But also, when you commit war crimes, y'all should be, like, prosecuted for it.
0: <laughs> yeah. 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 That's messed yeah. up.
1: Yeah, is that all you have to say, too?
0: I generally concur that people who commit war crimes should probably be prosecuted. It's funny that people don't seem to agree with me going by history.
1: Yeah.
0: My name is Eric McAdams. Thank you for listening to Big Time Whoopsies. You can find me on Twitter, at Edaciously Yours. You can find my website, NoCharacterIsSafe.com. You can find my other podcast, the Shmanime Podcast over on the major cast network thank you for listening bye thanks for listening to the major casts network stay fun stay nasty and stay major